Breaking news on Bible Dingers News Network. What's up, guys? You know how we open the show. As always, I'm Nick. I'm here with Ryan and Mark. How you doing? And I got some breaking news for y'all. Yeah. You ready for this? Nope. How you doing? Did you lose the headline again? (sighs) No, I'm just unlocking my phone. Where'd it go? You ready for this? Yes. Nope. This has become a trend. Did your phone die? This has become a trend. Joe Osteen. (laughs) This is huge, bro. I actually got this on the table yesterday. This is breaking news. This is some real deal breaking news. It's not a lie this week. Yeah, so you're giving us the answer right now. <laughs> this is Joe Osteen news. You never know with him. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say that's real news. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Whatever it may be. <laughs> Joe and Victoria Osteen. I just realized. Osteen. There's yeah. no L in there last night. Osteen. Have you been Osteen. saying Osteen? I've been saying Osteen my whole life. Wow. Osteen. I mean. Osteen. <laughs> <laughs> Victoria Anyways. and Joe Osteen. Announces their resignation from church to focus on new initiative. No. Fake news or real news? Fake news. That's the whole headline? That is the whole headline. I can't wait to read the they article. They quit to you. church? Oh, that's so it's real. Oh, it's real? Um, I can't say anything. You said I can't wait to read the article. I to can't you. wait to read it. it fake oh, news oh, or real news? They both have articles. That's true. That's Babylon B is that's filled true. with articles. Sorry. Uh, it sounds fake. It sounds fake. Mm-hmm. They they like the money. They're just gonna walk out on the money. So you think if Joe Osteen just gonna hit him with left that. the church, that he would have no outlets to make more money? Oh, oh he okay. absolutely would. All right. Yeah, you're probably. He right. could sell furniture. Number one podcast. Number one book. No matter what he writes. Is this fake news or real news? Fake. I think it's fake too. Yeah. You guys are right. But let me read this to you. Hold on. Let me read this to you. Who's it from? According to People Magazine, which is on giftybook.com. Oh, Gifty Book. <laughs> Yo, what? look at this. Wait, according to People Magazine, yeah, which they, is on they, giftybook.com. No, they, they throw up People Magazine on the top as if it makes it more legitimate. Hold on. <laughs> I'm so confused. So is it like a Babylon Bee or an Onion? Or it's a real news outlet just reporting fake news. No, oh. this, okay, okay. So check this out. I, I just wanted to get to the the juicy part. Lakewood Church's pastors, Joel and Victoria Osteen, recent absence from live television broadcasts of their weekly sermon generated rumors that the two were approaching retirement because of the backlash slamming oh. from their actions during Hurricane Harvey, which was a while ago at this point. However, an exclusive interview with People. Osteen confessed that he took a break from the weekly sermons to launch a company that he co-founded with his wife, Victoria. Fighting back tears, Osteen revealed that his sister, Lisa, was diagnosed with skin cancer in 2015, which inspired the couple to start this life-changing company. In her latest interview with Oprah, Victoria talked about the creation of La, La Bella Anti-Aging Cream. Oh, <laughs> I was wondering how they weren't aging. <laughs> I'm so, not gonna go on, but <laughs> it was all about some cream, dude. It was all about cream, dude. <laughs> I read this article and I'm like, no way, that can't be true. So I Google it and it wasn't true. 
but like mm. there's this it's <laughs> this, a this website that headline. just yeah exactly gotta get that cream exactly yeah <laughs> anyway what are we talking about today we are talking about dispensationalism Ooh. which of course is the study of machines that dispense sodas and how you doing yeah that's exactly what we're talking <laughs> is about is that today. what they teach you in bible college <laughs> yeah anyway so, today's a special episode yes today is a very special episode um i was geeking a little bit whenever we did the interview because mark is kind of a not this mark of course not but mark <laughs> bailey is kind of a hero to me how you doing and uh he's like a og in in the theology to some doctrine world to everybody no matter if you're dispensationalist or covenant theologian okay so let's just clarify he's one a thing. theology if you just check check this you did not say check that. this statistic out real quick theology son wow that's awesome did you learn that in bible college <laughs> that just came to me wait a minute so if if you just google seminary or theology school or christian college chances are Dallas Seminary is going to be on the first page, probably the second or first option. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, and also what's important to note, and I tried to note it uh, right before we started the interview, is that dispensationalism is a view that was really not birthed out of, it was birthed out of Europe, but it really came to popularity because of Dallas Theological Seminary. Hmm. Um they brought it from something that people really didn't know about all the way into mainstream evangelicism. And it's, it's tough to say if covenant or dispensationalism is the majority belief in, in our churches today, but it's up there, you know, it's one of the two. Um, and the cause of that is Dallas theological seminary. So it was really cool that this school that really birthed the idea of dispensationalism in America we have the president on the line to kind of explain what dispensationalism is. Um, yeah, how did you even get him? Listen, man. He's a theology. <laughs> I I'm hate the, that word. Yeah. I'm not an OG. I'm just a theology. No, didn't you, you literally just emailed him and they got back to you? Yeah, man. You have not because you asked not. Right, it's true, yeah. So would it be like a geology? No, that's YG? the study of rocks. Geology, YG? <laughs> <laughs> this joke is going way no. too far. <laughs> Anyways, so I don't know if we really did it justice last week, kind of explaining the point of why we're even talking about covenant theology and dispensationalism right now. It's because the Abrahamic covenant, which is in the book of Genesis, is kind of a fork in the road. Uh, depending on what you believe about the Bible and how you interpret the Bible, mm. you'll say the Abrahamic covenant either literally applies only to Israel. Well, not only, I shouldn't say that, but God will fulfill the promise of the Abrahamic covenant with Israel or the promises of the Abrahamic covenant apply to the modern day church. And we kind of took over as God's people. And now we're one with Israel. Um, so the Abrahamic covenant is kind of a fork in the road for what you believe. And, dispensationalists would like i said apply it directly to israel and they kind of take things in the bible more literally than a covenant theologian would and that's not a shot at covenant theology obviously 
It's just saying, and, and covenant theologians would actually say that dispensationalists tend to take it too literal sometimes. Mm. So things that should be an analogy or should be... Um, symbolic. Symbolic, yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. That dispensationalists erroneously take it literally when they should be taking it as a symbol. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a dispensationalist would say to the covenant theologian, that you should be taking things literal. It's not really saying that it's symbolic or anything like that specifically. So that's why we're hitting on dispensation. I keep messing <laughs> up that word. Dispensationalism. Dispensationalism. Dispensationalism and covenant theology right here after the book of Genesis. Hmm. So in case you guys missed it last week, we did review covenant theology with Pastor Chris Gardner. And this week we are reviewing dispensational theology with the president of Dallas Theological Seminary, Mark Bailey. Yes. Mark Stacio. Oh. Mark Stacio. Uh, yeah, Junior. so we're going we're gonna to yeah. cut right to that so you guys can hear that. Kennedy Fried Chicken Flow. What is this song? Thank you for being on with us. This is this is really a, a privilege, and you you really are one of my heroes. I've never been to Dallas Theological, but I really respect everything you guys teach. So thanks for thanks for coming on with us. Well, it's not too late for you to enroll. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, We've got doctors, lawyers, uh, ex uh, military generals, uh, you name it. So there's never never an age where you can't start. Hey, that, that's everything you are, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Those are my side jobs. Why not? <laughs> um, okay, so today we're going to be talking about dispensationalism. Last week we talked about covenant theology with Pastor Chris. Um, and a word almost synonymous with dispensationalism is Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, Dallas Theological is where dispensationalism was really cultivated in the United States. And it grew to be one of the primary methods of interpreting the Bible over here. Um, Dallas Theological is one of the best, if not the best, Bible and theology school in the country. Some of their most well-known graduates are Chuck Swindoll, David Jeremiah, Hal Lindsey, Andy Stanley, Charles Ryrie, and Tony Evans. Uh, So today, we're actually extremely privileged to have Dr. Mark Bailey on the show with us to discuss dispensationalism. Mark Bailey is the president of Dallas Theological Seminary, and he's also the senior professor of Bible exposition. He has an associate's from Maricopa Technical College, a bachelor's from Southwestern College. He also has a master's of divinity, a master's of theology, a PhD, and a doctor of divinity. Dr. Bailey assumed the seminary's presidency after years of service as both a professor in the Bible exposition department and as the vice president for academic affairs. In addition to his years at Dallas Theological Seminary, he has pastored various churches in Arizona and Texas. He was a seminar instructor for Walk Through the Bible Ministries for 20 years and is in high demand for Bible conferences and other preaching engagements. His overseas ministries have included Venezuela, Argentina, Hungary, and China. He is also a regular tour leader in Israel, Jordan, Egypt, Turkey, Greece, and Rome. His board service includes Bible Study Fellowship, Insight for Living, Jews for Jesus, 
and walk through the Bible ministries. Dr. Bailey, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. It's my privilege to be with you, man. All right. So if you could, could you give us kind of an idea of what dispensationalism is, what that means? You bet. Uh, The word uh, actually comes probably from the King James Version in Ephesians, where Paul talks about a dispensation of grace that was unknown before, but now revealed. And so the term from the Greek language is oikonomia. We get our English word economy from that. Hmm. So it's really how God has chosen to operate his house. Oikos meaning house and namos meaning law. So how has God managed the affairs of his dealings uh, on planet Earth? In a lecture I do with our students, I, you know, in seeing the, the broad sweep of scripture, I ask and answer the question, what on earth is God doing for heaven's sake anyway? And so it really is, what, what has God chosen to do? And uh, probably the best way to illustrate uh, dispensationalism uh, happens to be with the way God has ordained worship. And uh, if I could do it in four basic uh, periods of time, there was a time uh, under Abraham and the patriarchs, and the book of Job reflects it as well, where anybody, anytime, at anywhere could offer a sacrifice to the Lord in worship or gratification for what God had done in their lives. Uh, so during the uh, pre-law period, uh, anybody, anywhere, Job included, could offer sacrifices for his, for his kids. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob offered sacrifices wherever they went. Uh, and so that's, that's a period of the promise, as the book of Galatians calls it. Uh, the second period is the period of the law, uh, which is, uh, doesn't cancel the promise, as Galatians tells us. But under law, there was no place except at the central sanctuary, but no one except an appointed priest at no other times than appointed times. And so to intrude into the priesthood, as you know, uh, was death, uh, like Uzziah, you know, with uh, being stricken with uh, leprosy uh, there in Isaiah. And so uh, so the the concept of worship was uh, was regulated uh, to the Levitical priesthood, to the family of Aaron as the high priest. Certain sacrifices offered at certain times only at the central sanctuary. Uh, And you remember in the book of Joshua, when they wanted to build an altar over by the you know, the uh, the Jordan River on the way back, the two and a half tribes almost caused a civil war because uh, they thought that was a violation, a big violation of the uh, principle of sacrifice. Mm. When Jesus comes on the scene, he sort of uh, pulls the pin and rolls the grenade down the table of Judaism in John 4 when he's with a Samaritan woman, when he says an, an hour is coming and now is when you'll not worship on this mountain, which was the Samaritans, Mount Gerizim, which was unlawful, obviously, uh, nor in Jerusalem. Uh, that's a huge statement for Jesus to say that worship will no longer be confined to the central sanctuary where God chose to place his name in Jerusalem, etc. So he's announcing a huge change of, of worship. And we know in the, in the New Testament, we come through uh, a new high priest. Uh, Hebrews 12, uh, 7, 12 says, with the changing of the priesthood, there came also a necessity of the changing of the law. So Jesus could never have been our high priest under Old Testament law. So we can't be under Old Testament law with Jesus as a priest because he's of the wrong uh, tribe. Uh, he's of a superior order. And so the priesthood changes. Sacrifices change. Uh, we offer the fruit of our lips, our substance, ourselves, our money. And we, and we bring spiritual sacrifices, First Peter 2, uh, th- through a new high priest, Jesus Christ. And, and while we share a kingdom of priest function like Israel did in the Old Testament, the people of God in the New Testament of the church, uh, we don't go to Jerusalem to sac- offer sacrifices, etc. Hmm. So, under grace, the dispensation that Paul says is of grace, uh, 
and, and John put it this way, the law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ in terms of a broad category of division between Old Testament and New Testament. Now, depending on how one handles the book of Ezekiel, uh, the future, uh, Ezekiel talks about uh, that there's going to be a different kind of a temple with different uh, kinds of implements, but there's still going to be sacrifices. And I know this relates to one of the questions you want to ask me, so let me go ahead and advance it. Uh, <laughs> but with a king priest, we've never had a king priest qualified to be both king and priest. As Zechariah chapters uh, 4, 5, and 6 uh, uh, predict we will have. Uh, we'll have a king priest who will supervise worship in a rebuilt temple in a, in a new Jerusalem uh, that's built uh, totally different with geographical differences and land differences on planet Earth than we've ever had before. And, uh, and depending on how one takes the concept of sacrifice described in Ezekiel 40 to 48, uh, we now have back at a central sanctuary with a king priest offering sacrifices on behalf of the people, ruling on behalf of, of God over the world. Hmm. So those are four periods of worship. And so very simply for me, uh, dispensationalism means that God has chosen to reveal himself and order his uh, worship for one example, uh, uh, those p parallel the basic cons of concepts of covenant uh, in the scriptures with the Abrahamic covenant under promise, the Mosaic covenant, the new covenant promised uh, to Israel, experienced uh, by application today, uh, but not uh, fully with the nation yet in the future. But those four periods of worship are four different dispensations of the way God has chosen to order even his worship in, uh, on planet Earth. So that to me is a, is a great illustration of what we mean by uh, different dispensations. In each dispensation revealed by God, there's a revelation that changes the dispensation. For example, the changing of the priesthood came in necessity of the changing of the law. Uh, we have revelation that God changed the way he was working. And so those are four periods in which God was doing something different. Uh, salvation is always by grace through faith in every dispensation. That's the book of Romans in a nutshell. And so we don't believe in two ways of salvation. Uh, and so those, that's, that in a nutshell is what we mean, and I, I mean, by different dispensations. Okay, that's great. Um, so just to clarify for our listeners, does dispensationalism teach that there's a difference between um, Israel and the church, or are we one and the same? Israel, uh, depending on who in Israel, obviously not all Israelites uh, are the church, so we, we do dis distinguish between Israel and the church. God distinguished even between uh, people within Israel as being true Israel or not true Israel, hmm. and so we don't equate Israel as a nation with the church, and, uh, and we don't equate even uh, uh, believers in the Old Testament with the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. He didn't say, I've already built my church. So we would see a distinction. Now, they share— uh, purposes of God, we're all the people of God, and we'll end up all together uh, in uh, the New Jerusalem together as the people of God. And as Israel was a kingdom of priests in the Old Testament, so First Peter uh, 2 says that we as believers in the church uh, function as kingdom of priests, but our kingdom is different, the priesthood is different, and so it's not identical, it's not an equation. So we would distinguish between what God was doing with Israel uh, under Old Covenant and what God is doing uh, with the church uh, in the present age. And so we, as dispensationalists, we would, we would distinguish between Israel and the church. Okay. So in light of that, I guess, how would a dispensationalist handle New Testament verses that seem to apply promises 
that were made to true Israelites as being fulfilled in the church? Well, I, th- I think uh, I think the key word is application. Okay, uh, and so we can get into the details of this, but. Uh, be, for example, like I said, by quoting Ezekiel, excuse me, by quoting Exodus 19:6 and 1 Peter 2, he's not saying we are Israel. Uh, we don't have the same kind of a kingdom. Uh, it's not a political kingdom in a political land, and it, we don't have an Aaronic priesthood. And so none, none of us are Levitical priests, uh, you know, from the Aaronic family or the Levite, the Levitical family, excuse me, in the Aaronic priesthood. So to, to quote an Old Testament passage doesn't mean it's being fulfilled in that sense by the church. There, there is analogies of being the people of God. And so in the same way, the Lord will never leave me nor forsake me is, is found, you know, with David fleeing from uh, physical enemies. Uh, and we apply that to our everyday life, whether we have physical enemies or not. And so the, the scriptures have uh, all kinds of quotations that uh, in which there are analogies between Israel and the church. Uh, now, the big question is, is God fulfilling any promises to Israel in the present age? And the answer has to be yes to a point, because uh, obviously the Messiah has come. Uh, we have the Messiah. We have the Spirit. And so there there are fulfillments of God sending his Son in the likeness of human flesh, etc., uh, and so we, there is fulfillment. The question is, has God fulfilled all of the promises he's made to Israel? Is he doing that in the present day to the church? And that's where we would have a, a departure. And we would say, no, whatever God has promised to fulfill for Israel, he will fulfill with Israel. And uh, the church might enter into some of those blessings. But uh, there's passages, for example, in the prophets that every single uh, person uh, ultimately, there will not be a single Jew left dispersed among the nations, according to Ezekiel 39:28. When Israel is regathered, not one person will be left dispersed among the nations. Hmm. Well, that's not true now, and uh, it, it, it has never been true. And hmm. so that fulfillment has obviously not yet occurred and therefore must still be future. So we, we believe that God's promises to, to Israel, uh, some have been fulfilled, some will be fulfilled. Uh, we don't think those are eclipsed nor abrogated uh, by God, what God is doing in the church. Okay, so since you say that there are promises made to Israel that God still has yet to fulfill, do you think that that kind of elevates Jews as more special than the Gentiles in God's eyes? Um, because the scriptures seem to teach that we're equal and co-heirs together with Jesus Christ. Um, in Ephesians 3. So would that elevate the Jews over the Gentiles? No. Uh, advantage doesn't mean superiority. Hmm. And so in Romans, where he says, did is- what, Israel- what advantage did Israel have? Well, they had, the- they had the prophets, they had the law, they had the covenants. Uh, you know, the church has never promised the covenants other than the new covenant that we experience. And so his argument that the Jews had every advantage but that doesn't mean superiority. And I think the greatest passage to prove that is the Malachi chapter one, where why did God choose Jacob and not Esau? And uh, he loved Jacob, but he hated Esau. Why? So that God might be magnified beyond the borders of Israel. In Hmm. other words, Israel as a preferred nation was never because they were preferred people. They they were chosen, uh, Israel has three functions. One is they were to be a witness to the nations, a light to the nations. They were the channel of the Messiah. You know, if there if there's an advantage in one sense, uh, we have a Jewish Savior and always will have. So uh, 
Uh, is that good? Is that better? Or is that best? The answer is it's God's best. <laughs> uh, the third reason is they are a repository of the truth. Uh, how much of the scriptures and especially the law of God came through the Jewish people? And so uh, advantage doesn't mean superiority. Advantage means responsibility. And that's what the argument of Romans 9, 10, 11 is. They had every advantage and they, they missed the Messiah. Judgment comes in part, blindness until the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled. But when we come back to, Rebel, to Romans 11, if uh, their rejection brought God's grace and glory to the Gentiles, how much more will their salvation be? And so he anticipates, uh, if I could say it, uh, we're sort of sandwiched between a Jewish uh, uh, history, the church history, and then Jewish history coming at the end, sort of sandwiched between two great things that God's going to do with Israel. But uh, that doesn't mean Israel's superior or it's better to be Jewish than Gentile by any means. Hmm. That's very fascinating. I never thought about that. Yeah. So one last question. Uh, well, it's it's kind of two questions, but dispensationalism. Uh, you mentioned it before uh, briefly. It does have eschatological. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It it, it does have significance in the end times. Um, in the fact that there are still covenants that God needs to fulfill with Israel. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, I would say that the, the Abrahamic covenant, uh, the Davidic covenant, the new covenant, the three unconditional covenants will all be fulfilled. In fact, the, the, the passage in Jeremiah basically says, as long as the, uh, the universe exists, uh, he says, uh, for example, in Jeremiah 31, this covenant is, which is what I will make with the house of Israel after those days. And ironically, that's a covenant that's made after uh, periods of judgment. He said, but this is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, verse 33 of Jeremiah 31. I'll put my law within them on their heart, and I will write it, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Now watch this. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, you need to know the Lord. For they'll all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Why? For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I'll remember no more. And then he says, the Lord who gives the sun by light, the, the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If the fixed order departs from me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel will also cease from being a nation before me forever. In other words, as long as the universe stays together, God's promises to Israel are still binding and still intact. So this is a promise to Israel that there'll never be a need for teaching. That hasn't happened yet. Everybody will know me from the least to the greatest. That hasn't happened yet. That won't happen until all Israel gets saved, as, as, as Romans 11 expects. So while in one sense, there's, here's where the application comes. With the Spirit of God, Paul says that he's written on our hearts, which was in keeping with the, the new covenant. Uh, what has God promised with the new covenant for Israel has not yet taken place. Uh, it's not yet been fulfilled. It's not as complete as it will be, but one day it will. And he said, if you want to know how well you can trust me in that, as long as the universe, the sun, the moon, and the stars hang in there, uh, I'm hanging in there, he says. That's awesome. Wow. So my follow-up question to that is, since Israel does have covenants that are yet to be fulfilled, and some implications of those covenants kind of point to a millennial kingdom here on earth, Right. How would you deal with the book of Hebrews, which 
uh, seems to warn against returning to Judaism and, and things that uh, are of the old covenant? Outstanding question. Uh, I've done a message. It's out there on, I think, probably some websites, uh, 10, 10 arguments for a millennial temple. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, and, uh, but just, just briefly, uh, it, we do not believe, those of us who believe there is a millennial temple, uh, and there's all kinds of reasons to believe that, because there will be a temple in the tribulation, but there won't be a temple in heaven. Uh, there's no temple in heaven, so it can't be, Ezekiel can't be predicting the new heavens and the new earth with his temple imagery, because there's no temple in heaven, according to Revelation. Right. So then the question is, when is there a temple in which the Zadokites become central priests? We've never had that yet, as predicted in Ezekiel. The Zadokites are a, a branch of the Levites, but the Levites are pushed to the edge while the Zadokites become central, hmm. uh, according to Ezekiel 40 to 48. Uh, the implements that are found in Ezekiel 40 to 48 with regard to uh, the, the temple, there's no Ark of the Holy of Holies, there's no table of showbread, no lampstand, no anointing oil, and no mention of the high priesthood. Uh, it's not the same as the law. What he's predicting in the future is totally different. In fact, the temple's not built to the same specifications. There's not the same uh, implements. There's not the same priesthood. There is atonement. And so the issue of how do we handle the issue of sacrifice, some say that that's simply concomitant. You know, whatever worship will be in the future is built off of imageries of the past. But the problem is the differences. It's very anti-Levitical. It's very anti-law uh, in its description. And yet it's atonement. So then the question is, how can it be atoning? So here comes the, here's the coup de grace, <laughs> okay? <laughs> the blood of bulls of goats in the Old Testament, according to Hebrews, never took away sin. Hmm. Uh, so if there are sacrifices in the millennium, as some would think, not all but dispensationalists would agree with that, but if there are sacrifices, they won't take away sin either. So it does nothing except celebrate the death of Christ, just in the same way the Old Testament sacrifices anticipated the death of Christ. So even like our Lord's Supper doesn't denigrate the death of Christ, it celebrates the death of Christ. Well, I like to say, blow that up into a Jewish feast, you know, and uh, you know, it'll be the best smelling barbecue you've ever smelled in your life. <laughs> yeah, right. And it won't, it doesn't at all denigrate the, the death of Christ because only one death by one man once for all, could settle expiation for sin. Hmm. So the blood of bulls and goats never took away sin. They couldn't cleanse from a, a guilty conscience. Only God can do that through Christ. So whatever we do in the church, in the Lord's table, whatever we might do in the millennium with sacrifices, we'll do nothing but celebrate that one and only sufficient death. So there's no uh, a put down. Uh, Hebrews is basically saying, why would you go back under Judaism when you have Jesus? We would say amen to that. We're not going back under Judaism at all. We're going forward to a messianic kingdom. That's not Judaism as it was. That's a whole different fulfillment than uh, than the Old Testament. And that's what Hebrews is saying. You got it so much better now than you ever had it then. Why would you ever want to go back? And we would say amen to that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. And uh, that was an awesome explanation of dispensationalism. You answered all my questions. And I think now I am a dispensationalist. <laughs> <laughs> That was pretty easy. I, 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 <laughs> Dr. Bailey, I thank you so much for coming on the show. It yeah, really was you. an honor. Um, I, I hope to hear from you again in the future. Maybe we can have you on again sometime. 
Well, I appreciate it. I, I, when people ask the difference between covenant theology and dispensationalism, and you need to understand, I have dear, dear friends who are covenant theologians, president of covenant, you know, seminary, uh, uh, the RTS seminaries, etc. They're my dear friends. Uh, they're dear brothers in Christ. Hmm. We differ primarily on two things. One is the nature of the Abrahamic covenant. Mm -hmm. uh, we think it's uh, unconditional, and they would see it conditional. And number two, the nature of the church. And uh, we would see it Jew and Gentile uh, uh, co-heirs in this period of time as distinct from all other periods of time. But mm -hmm. one of the things that we have in common, ironically, is that when you get to Hebrews, when we get to the heavenly Mount Zion, there's three groups of people still identifiable there, which is interesting. One is the church of the firstborn. One is what's called the general assembly, which is a play off the word synagogue. And the other group is the spirits of the just men made perfect. Ironically, you have the church, you have a reference, I think, to Israel, and then all others who come outside of the dispensations of Israel and the church, pre-Israel, post-church, spirits of the just men made perfect. Uh, there's still a distinction when we get to the New Jerusalem, not in areas of superiority, but just differences of entrance. How did we come into this whole thing? Hmm. And we'll celebrate the, the, the great plan of God when we get there together. Oh, that's awesome. That's so fascinating. Yeah, yeah it is. Well, thanks again for coming on, Dr. Bailey. I think that'll be it for today. But, uh, yeah, thank you. It was an honor. Hey, great to be with you, Ryan and Mark. Yep. Thanks. Take care. That was the interview with the president of Dallas Theological Seminary, that Nick couldn't Mark make it Bailey. To. I couldn't make it there. But I'm still very excited about this topic. There's a there's a debate there, however, within Christianity about covenant theology and dispensational theology. I just want to tell you it's one or the other. <laughs> no, I want to be clear here. Okay, be clear. Dispensational theology and covenant theology is a lens by which you read the Bible, but it doesn't give you automatic access to heaven. Okay, you could be a dispensationalist That's and good still works. be saved. Yeah. You can be a covenant theologian and still be saved. I, st I, want, I want to really tell you that it doesn't matter what side you pick. If you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you are saved. Um, but it is an important topic. It's, it's a debatable topic, but it's worth studying. You know, if it piques your interest, listen to both episodes and, and figure out what side you want to go. Go online and, and do your own research. I feel like um, it's a topic after reading... The Old Testament, that's hard to dodge. It's yeah. like you yeah. kind of have to pick a view when, once you learn about Israel. Mm -hmm. It's like what's going on with Israel modern day. Mm. Yeah, it has a lot of uh, eschatological implications, which mm -hmm. means it has a lot of implications for the end of the world, basically. Mm -hmm. All right. So, anyway, while you're at it, if you do love our episodes, which I hope you do and I know you do, get online. Hit, up, hit us up on www.biblodingers.com we are also on social media on Sometimes. facebook on twitter on instagram and while you're there Just give me the likes, don't pass you know how it goes make sure you hit that like button make sure you hit that follow button make sure you hit that subscribe button make sure you hit that download button make and we'll sure see you, you next episode what what other buttons are there 
a lot of other buttons. There's a lot of buttons.